Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, people, I have an audition today. Now, I have an audition forever. But the weird thing is, it's not a normal audition. It's not like, hey, let's see, you know, can you do a voiceover or can you do some comedy or act for us? Uh, it's a hand modeling audition. So what I'm figuring out is I'm actually going to go in somewhere. They're going to, it's for a Chevrolet. I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'm going to hold keys. But then it said nice forearms, and I have very thin forearms, so I don't know why my agent sent it on it. But I'll tell you guys what happened next week, but uh, it's going to be interesting, because if you've ever been in a hand model audition, what happens is you just walk in, and they look at your hands, you know, and they, you hold something. At least acting, you get to, you know, maybe show some talent, you know, read a line. Here, you just sit there, and you just, they just look at your hands, and that's it. So that's at 5 o'clock tonight, so it'll be fun. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, we have a we have a great guest today. Uh, she's on a kick-ass show on FX, and, and she's the great actress actor I, mean, I use the word actor some people use actress and she's uh she's a very benevolent to the pets she's uh very involved in the in you know being a good person you know a lot of people in hollywood aren't good people she is and it's elaine hendricks how you doing elaine hey steve now have you ever done hand modeling i'm just wondering because you've, you've you've done a, you've been acting for a long time have it has it ever because i know you modeled when you're younger have you yes. ever done a hand modeling audition i have not but i'm looking at your hands now and i think yeah. you have a good shot at it i, I didn't get a manicure or anything because I, I didn't know <laughs> there's a I, I went one time there's a little place in burbank it's like it's like 10 bucks it's on uh it's on victory and magnolia and i went once because i had an audition for it and the lady did a great job now i'm not used to manicures my girlfriend gets a manny and petty you know and she'll do them at home and go and I went one time and it was really relaxing, but the next time I went and it sucked. So I, I, I never want to go back. The lady was like beating on him and it, it's painful. Yeah. It, you got to get the right person for sure. Cause sometimes like I'll walk out of there sometimes like bleeding at the cuticles and that's never a good thing when you want to go in and like get pampered. It's never a good thing to be bleeding from the cuticles. No, no, not going to ask you now you've been in this business for a long time, but you knew as a kid that you wanted to get into performing, right? Well, I performed as a kid, but here's the thing is that I grew up in a really small town in East Tennessee where Hollywood wasn't like some, ooh, one day I'm going to get there. It didn't even register as a possibility. It didn't even like come up in anywhere in my consciousness about like that it could be a job and something to do. So one thing led to another and now I'm here. It's just, yeah, I always, it's always amazing when people do come from a small town because you're right. It's, it's nothing. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere and, and it's something you see on TV and it's like anything as my mom would call it, it's a pipe dream somewhat. So how did you, what was your steps? I know you ended up going to an acting school. Well, I ended up moving to Atlanta, Georgia. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know if I even like, I, don't, I didn't think like people lived inside of a box, but I didn't even think of it as like, that's what people did for a living. You know, I didn't even have that much awareness about it. I just knew that I loved to dance and sing and act and perform and, so I did anything I could in in my local area. I did school plays and I did local plays and I danced in dance recitals and took classes. And then I had the opportunity to move to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, when I was actually a competitive figure skater, which was another form of like performing. No, no, that's just it's just weird to me where you came from, a small town. How does you get in figure skating? Because you think, you know, I mean, figure skating is one of those things. I grew up back east and, and people ice skated and, you know, things happen. But we never had great ice skaters coming out of our town and even hockey players until later down the road. But I mean, in tennis, I mean, how do you get into that? Because it's such something like you don't hear about that. No. And my mom drove me about four, sometimes five days a week, an hour round trip to get me to the to a rink where I would practice, I would go to camp and whatnot. And I know you had um, John Ailes in here before. His daughter, uh, John Ailes, who plays rehab on our show, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, his daughter is huge in, in skating. And she's like, she's way beyond uh, the point where I ever got to. And so I don't know. It was just something I kind of took up. And then I fell in love with it. And then I moved to Atlanta. And then it was just, it's always been these kind of weird set of circumstances where I was skating. I was miserable at my school. My mom found out about a performing arts school. I auditioned, I got in and then I stopped skating and I focused full time on dance. And then I won a model search and then I went to Italy and then I traveled all over modeling and dancing. And then I came out here and then I was hit by a car. Yeah, I, no, I, I mean, it's crazy. I read about that and it really shows resilience because you know, you were a model and a dancer and yeah. you, you were working. It's not like you were just someone in out, like no, you're not, you're not yeah. someone who goes, Oh yeah, I'm a model or I'm a dancer. Really? What are you? Uh, oh, I, you know, I, I, I'm on the pole. You know, it's not like that. You, you were a, a dancer and a model and you were working and yes. you went to Italy. Yeah. And so, you, you're doing well, so you probably figured out, I'm going to come to L.A. because it's you like acting and you had the success. 
So you decide to move to L.A. And now how long are you out here before the accident happens? I was out here. Um, well, at that time, I was kind of coming back and forth. And here's the thing is that I was being a nerdy, good citizen. My driver's license had expired while I was in Italy because I was there for several months. And so I rode my bicycle to the DMV to renew my driver's license, and I got hit by a car. See, that's, you know what? <laughs> that is so weird, because I'll be honest. I just went to the DMV a few months ago, and I had noticed years ago I got a DUI. And I never, when I when I got all you know, stuff done, I didn't really drive. And then I drove, and I, I never got it real thing and i went to drive i noticed my girlfriend finally said you know you always show your passport your 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 uh, license isn't valid is it and i said no so i went and, and i looked and i felt like such an idiot because i go in and i it expired in 2010 so i was driving for five years with now given i had and you're admitting this on air hey well not i have my license now <laughs> but i had i mean I, my registration was paid my insurance was paid sure but i was like you know you could just and then you sit there and you go well if it was it like Three months, you go, oh, my God, I forgot. But you can't sit there and get pulled over. And I never get knock wood knock and wood. say, oh, oh, I, I didn't know it was expired. Maybe like it was five years. So, Oops. <laughs> so you're going to the DMV and now and it's, it's a bad accident. Well, yeah, it was enough to put me out of commission. I moved home to recoup and go into physical therapy and sort of regroup. And and it really didn't deter me. It was just kind of like, oh, well, that happened. That's kind of annoying. But then then. You know, life is just so funny because then it took me home and very, I mean, gosh, within a couple of weeks after I had gotten home, my boyfriend, who I had had since I was like 16 years old, and at that time we were kind of broke, you know, when you're young, you break up and get back together a lot. And so we were kind of broken up and I hadn't seen him since I'd gone to Italy. And so... But then he ended up dying in a car wreck. Oh, man. And so I kind of just have looked back and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And I thought it's moments like that that I sometimes think things happen for a reason. It's like, wow, that I wouldn't have gone home and I wouldn't have been there and I wouldn't have been able to go to the funeral and be with his family. And, all. you know, it just so life is is just interesting that well, way. Yeah, and also even with the with, you know, the your accident, you may have if you didn't get an accident, you may have kept dancing. Or modeling, and you yeah. may have never got the opportunities to transit to acting. Yeah. So now that's the path you took because you could, you really couldn't dance anymore, right? Was your, I mean, so you decide you're going to act. Now, has had acting been in your uh, wheelhouse when you were modeling and dancing, or was it just something you were like, eh, eventually? Because but right now things are good. Yeah, it was a little bit more like eventually. I started taking classes because here in LA, even as a dancer, you go on commercial or in- industrial auditions or even stage work and they expect you to have other skills so I was already kind of laying the the pavement and sort of learning about it but I wasn't actively doing it and then the and then another weird thing happened is after I got done um, with the accident which I still have I still have health problems to this day I still have um, muscle problems sometimes from it uh, I, and I had come back to LA um, Oh my gosh, I completely, I, I completely just lost my train of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> Another thing, weird thing happened. Oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. I was working, so I, for about uh, for about four months, when I actually, I physically moved here. So now I was like living here full time. I was working, picking up shifts, because uh, I had gone back to dancing, but it was so painful. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I had a manager literally say to me, hey, you, come over here. She quote unquote discovered me, started me sending me out on acting auditions, helped me find coaches, and I started testing for jobs, and then I booked my first series. Which was? Get Smart, the remake of Get Smart. So now were you a fan of Get Smart growing up? I was a huge fan. Okay, so that must have been great. Now, I got a quick question, though, before we talk about that. Uh, is it true that you were in a Houdini video? Yeah. I loved Houdini. I saw it. Right? Too. That's and, old school. And Keith Sweat. Keith Sweat. And, and MC, MC Hammer. Hammer. That's all right. But Keith yeah. Sweat. When I saw Houdini. I went, oh, that's because the freaks come out at night. It was just like the song that everyone loved back in the day. Yeah. So so you, you get, it's your first audition when you get this? I mean, for acting, is it your first audition when you get this series? Or had you been auditioning a few times? Um, I had done th- three other jobs before I got Get Smart as an actress. I had done, um, oh no, yeah, uh, I had done... Evening Shade, that's going way back with Burt Reynolds. Yeah, and Hal Holbrook, uh, Burt Reynolds. 
and um, Michael Jeter's. And then um, I had also done The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which ended up becoming, it got canceled, and then it ended up becoming like this kind of cult classic. And then I had done a couple of days on a soap opera, and then boom, I'm on a series. So what's that like? I mean, you're sitting there. I mean, now you'd had, you know, you'd been successful in the modeling and dancing, and you've gone through some different things, you know, different circumstances, but then you got found. And now you're young, you're, you're not, you're new to Hollywood. I mean, you're not new and you're in a series and it's also, it's a, it's a big, I mean, Get Smart was, was a, you know, a legendary series. Were you nervous? I mean, how did you take that as a, as being, you know, so young and pretty much naive in the acting business and in a set and playing Agent 66? I mean, it's like, no, I believe that was Barbara Thornton's role. She was. Oh, wait. She was 99 okay, okay. and I was 66. Okay. Yes. But, uh, and she was in the new. Okay. Yeah. But, but what is that like though? I mean, you're, you're just, you're basically, you're from a small town. <laughs> I mean, you're not used to that. I mean, and all of a sudden you're somewhat pushed into the limelight cause you're getting, I mean, were you nervous or how did you handle it? I wish to this day, I still had that same naivete. I think it, I think it really worked to my benefit because I had no idea what was happening and I had no idea what was to come. And it wasn't until later that I learned like, how that those things just don't happen but because my life had been so varied whatever I entered into things always happened for me so for me I was just going along I was just putting one foot in front of the other and then I really fell in love with it and I've stayed with acting I still dance um, but I've certainly stayed as far as the arts go I've stayed with acting the longest and it's a real love-hate relationship I do still wish I had that same naivete. <laughs> Why? I mean, just because, just, just, I mean, because I know it's like anything and, and it, it's such a, a tumultuous ride. I mean, people don't know that. It's always so funny. It's like people, I always laugh because I get a lot of actors who have had a very long career in a show and people think, you know, and, and you know, people who aren't in the industry think, oh yeah, you know, they just, they just go and they just report and there's so many ups and downs and people don't know that. And from series ups and downs, I mean, it, it's it's a hard road. People don't get that. Like people who are still around. Like I, you know, I've had character actor guys who come in and say when they came here, when they go to an audition, they'd be like 250 guys in the room, and, mm-hmm. and you'd be against that one guy, and you'd be like, yeah, screw that guy, because you know we're young, you want to get something, and then you know, 10 years later, you're like, oh yeah, well you know, I don't, you know, it's like 100 guys in the room. It's like, eh. and like 25 years later, there's like. 10 guys in the room and you're like, well, I hope one of us gets us because all of us are good. Yeah. I mean, who are some of your people like you, you were hanging out with and still see at auditions and still see around? I mean, there's got to be a certain group. You, you know, what's really weird, I feel, is that <clears throat> you are absolutely right about that. My journey, I have been up against Alicia Silverstone. I have been up against Marsha Gay Harden. And I have no idea the rhyme or reason That's between, funny. you know, because it's two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I've also been up against other ethnicities. I've been up against other, you know, other genders. See, that's funny. It's, you know, there's, it's crazy. Well, I think that's because it's just the way Hollywood treats women. And all honesty, yeah. like, like guys, there's, there is that pigeonhole. It's like, okay, you know, David Starzik, Larry Poindexter, Spencer Garrett are all going to be at one audition. And you know, you know, there's the Italian guys, and that's the way because guys they just give more roles to. I think it's just for women. They- I agree, and guys get more offers. I think it. I think that club of like the the men you are speaking about, the character actors. I think there's sort of a club of them, and it is just about which one of us is going to get it this time. And I saw that more in the dance world than I do in the acting world. And now more than ever there's no there is especially for women there is no club i want to i want to talk i want to get back to your career but i want to talk about your new show because i, I just i love it I, i'm a rock and roll and what's great is it's it's so funny because i i put it on i posted something about it on facebook and i posted when john was on and now it's actually in auto save on my phone i don't have to write the whole thing out because people it's it's sex and it's not like if you look it up it's not sex and drugs it's sex and amber drug, sam yeah drugs, Amber Sam, rock, Amber Sam, and roll. And that's actually in my phone. So it makes it easier when I post something. So now for that, I mean, are, are you a big, are you a rock and roll fan? I mean, is that something that role that you, when you saw was coming your way, you're like, oh man, cause I know you danced and you, but you know, you were dancing with Houdini. You weren't dancing with, you know, the, 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 the rock and rollers, the guns and roses. Are you, are you a big music fan? Big music fan. I grew up, you know, it's funny in the late eighties and early nineties when I was dancing with all the rappers, I was actually on the weekends going to concerts like Def Leppard and 
uh, uh, Motley Crue, Journey, ACDC. So I've been a rocker chick for a long time. And growing up in Tennessee, I was certainly a southern rock chick. See, I like. I remember like Molly Hatchet and all that. And <laughs> I, 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 I never under figured out. That. I, I, the one thing is, I remember there was like a concert in Philadelphia. It was like the Outlaws, Molly Hatchet, and you know, someone else, and then Thirty Eight Special. Thirty Eight Special never seemed like a Southern rock. Like they were just like they didn't. They're one of their songs ended up on a L'Oreal commercial. And I'm like, you can't be a Southern rocker if your songs are on L'Oreal commercials. Yeah, you know, it's that's... like what's with that? You're like bubblegum pop. Yeah, the Southern rockers, you know, there's a few of them who I don't even want to say their names out loud, have have stayed very relevant, mainly because of their insanity and political, you know, stances. So Southern rockers haven't, I don't think, get the, quite the same um, spotlight that just classic rockers do, but that's okay. Now the show, when you hear about it, What's what's what does your agent says? Okay, we have an audition for you, and they say you're going to be. I mean, how do they describe that role? Because if you see the people, she's basically you guys are husbands. I mean, you know, you, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but it, it's like it's not it's not on your own doing. It's because Dennis Leary's character was just such a screw up that yeah. he just blew everything. And of course, you see John Corbett's character goes away and joins Gaga, so he says, "Okay, I'm gonna I want my career to be in music." But what do they what do they tell you? Like, when did you know Dennis was involved, or what what did you hear when you were like going for this role? So this was very different, this audition, because they weren't seeing people in Los Angeles. And usually any series you do, you you go through so many different rooms and you do the audition in front of so many different people. But this one, they were casting out of New York. They weren't seeing anybody in Los Angeles. And so I put myself on tape. And originally written, she was a groupie of Dennis's character. and. Um, so I did that and I thought it was very funny. It was Dennis. I had just worked with Dennis's company on the show Marin, which is on IFC. Well, okay. Well, I love, I love that show too. Yeah. And, uh, in the early, early days when I started the show, Mark was on and I just got him through back then. I sent his website, but now what, what episode were you with Marin? It, it's called white truck. And I play this insane real estate agent who elicits an affair with Mark Marin only to come to find out. I have a husband, and my husband has anger issues, and is a cop. And oh, I saw that one. Yeah. Okay, okay that's good. So no, so yeah. that, that's Apostle. That's a company, right? I Apostle. <laughs> yes. So I, so I, I wrote them, and I said, "Hey guys, you know, uh, I loved working on Marin. This um, new opportunity has come up. So here's, you know, here's my tape." And the agent, my agent, sent it to casting. I sent it to Apostle. Um, since I had just worked with them, you know, I'd, I'd formed a relationship with them. And then I get a note back in it and they said, okay, you know, just make, make an adjustment. I put myself on tape again. And then, which was just such a blessing. It was such a, like this giant sigh of relief. They took my tape all the way through the process. So I didn't have to go in any rooms. They just you, showed it to everybody. What do you mean? that? So so you you weren't there. You were still in L.A. They had your tape. Yeah. And so, they didn't call you to out to fly out. They just said, okay, no, we're going to show everyone. So they took it to the casting and then the network yeah, and all network that. network and studio. And yeah. So, you know, there was one, at one moment that they were like, we're going to find out whether you have to go into FX here in L.A. And, you know, do it. And then they're like, no, we're just we're going to send the tape. But I had a really great tape. So I was like, yeah, yeah, just keep sending the tape. It was so good. What did you put on the tape? I put on tape. There were three scenes that uh, maybe two ended up in the actual pilot. One for sure. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, two. Two ended ended up in the pilot. The third one was not ended up not being in the pilot. But Dennis kind of rewrote the role for me to make me not just his groupie but actually part of the band once he found out i could sing and dance okay now now when did you start i mean i know you dance but when did you start were you singing at a young age were you, i mean or do you do you have you kept it up because it's one of those things i think if you don't use it you lose it yeah yeah no and i still to, to the, this afternoon i'm going to a, a voice lesson so i still work on that all the time so you you find out you know it goes through the process and you're you're you gotta be somewhat you know confident because they're not saying Hey, come out here. They're saying the tape is good. Tape suck. They would, they would be like, <laughs> okay, yeah, whatever. Next, because you know you wouldn't, you wouldn't even hear about the tape. They'd be like, it's like the old thing in the old comedy club days. 
you'd send your audition tape. And if someone didn't like it, they would just put the tape over the VHS and just record movies on it. Yes. And you knew that. So <laughs> Boy, you were pulling out all the, like, just good old days <laughs> stuff here. Oh, well, Houdini, Molly I, Hatchet, I, hey, I VHSs. I, I don't mess around. I told you. Al's told you this show's for real. Uh, so so you get you go through the audition process. And so you now, is it uh, after you send your tape, how long is it? A, is it till you find out you got the series? Did you have to actually then go to network? Or I mean, they, they looked at your network. But did they make an offer over? The, I mean, how did the did they make an offer at the phone, or how did it happen? Yeah. So again, normally I would have to go into the room for the network, but I didn't. They just showed my tape, and then I got the phone call that they wanted to hire me, and so they made a deal, and we signed off on it. And this one happened pretty quickly. There's been times where it gets very drawn out. But this one happened quickly. What, what were some of the times that were drawn out? Um, funny enough, for the same network, I tested for anger management when Charlie had first left um, Two and a Half Men and was going to anger management. And because of his schedule that everything was going on, the process was done so piecemeal. That one, like... God, that one went like four or five weeks, the whole thing. It was just excruciating. And then... It got down to Selma Blair and me, and then Selma Blair got it. Um, and so so that one was fast. And I don't know. I think typical the typical process is usually within about like 10 days. So so you get the part, and now you have to move to New York. I mean, so it's yeah. something like, I mean, it's. But that's okay. Yeah, because that's what I say. I mean, that's like, that's like for two years, I was, before my girlfriend moved out here, I was by coastal. I would go to back to the Philadelphia area. And I loved it. And I loved, you know, sitting there even. You know, you thank God it wasn't the ass-kicking winner. It was like a winner and a half of just being, you know, okay because they've had some really bad winners. But yeah. it's always good to go back. And now, are you did you are you familiar with New York? Have you lived in New York before? I did. I had done an off-Broadway play. I guess the, about a year and a half before we shot the pilot, and then I've been to New York many, many times, and I've done other jobs there. So Now, how did the off-Broadway play happen? Because you seem to be a lot of TV and, you know, movies, but did you want to do stage? It's something you sought out? I did, and I still do. The problem is that, knock on, yeah, talking about knock on wood, um, I do work a lot, so it's really hard for me to find time in my schedule to carve out time to go do theater. Um, any any real run you know i will do sometimes like festivals very short runs or special readings and whatnot but stage was my first that was my first gig as a dancer and and growing up so i love stage so that one was an offer i just i got an offer to go do an off off broadway play and i did it now what's it like transitioning as you said dancing was your first love dancing on stage dancing to acting i mean it's probably it's probably gonna be a pretty big step i know you're still on the stage but it's you're using two different you know muscle you know talent muscles i mean was that a hard transition for you to sit there and start acting on stage because instead of dancing and somewhat being in the background or being you're not speaking and people are looking at oh this is beautiful this is graceful but acting you're you know you have to bear your soul and you have to you know if it's a comedy you have to deliver the last if it's a drama you have to deliver the tears what was it like for you to transition for me it was a pretty easy transition because i'd grown up acting and it was actually a big asset because as a dancer, I'm very physically aware. So like hitting my marks, working with props, that I that doesn't even give me pause at all. It's like second nature for me. So uh, I, I had a lot of benefits going into acting. So now when you get to New York to do the show, you have to it's you know you have to be like a band. I mean, and you have to in the backstory, it's a band that's dysfunctional. And also, you have to understand, you know, Dennis is very, very funny. So, I mean, it's one of those things on the set. And the pace. He has a very yeah. fast pace. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So, it's a matter you have to keep up with that. And it's something that I'm sure it's it's a whirlwind when you go in there. But so, you go in and now, now do you know, are you just shooting a pilot or is there a few episodes? Or did they say is, we have 12 episodes or how did? No, we just shot the pilot. So, you went back to New York. Now, mm-hmm. did you stay at a hotel? For, for the pilot, we were there for um, maybe three weeks and they had us in a two or three weeks and they had us in a hotel for the pilot. Now you've acted in a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now when we went on that set, did you, did you feel like there was a camaraderie, a spark? Cause that's how it comes across on TV. It seems like it's a big, dis- and I love dysfunctional, like any shows that are dysfunctional. It's like, I just love what characters are just dysfunctional. And the thing about this show is they're all just dysfunctional, but they're all likable. No one's mean. You know, right, that's the thing. Right, even right. Dennis's character is not mean. 
And your character is just nice. I mean, you're just a nice person, which the scene with you and Callie Thorne was very good last week. Thank you. About the mothers, you know, and the, you know, the, what did you call yourself? Uh, uh, I'm a surrogate mother. Surrogate mother, yeah. That was yeah. a very good scene. And it was good because it, it took away from, you know, it, it puts some backbone in this, in this story. But so when you get there, though, you ha- did, was there instant camaraderie? Or, I mean, how did you guys, how do you feel that out as an actor? Because, you know, Dennis is so over the top. And the different characters are, you know, and John Corbett's such, you know, just that handsome, silent guy who's got a great <laughs> career. And the other guys are just cool, you know? So how do you, how does it mesh when you go in? And then you're dealing with someone who's young also, yeah. which is a whole different dynamic because she doesn't remember when Dennis was, you know, smoking the cigarettes on stage. And, I don't even know yeah. if she was born. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what is it like the, your first day on, when, after you're shooting a pilot, your first day on set, how do you get to know each other? We just, we were lucky. We all like each other. I mean, we certainly have moments like families do when you're thrust together and there's high pressure and, and very intense schedules where we can really irritate each other. But we hang out together when we're not working. We constantly text each other and send each other messages and keep each other up to date on our lives, call each other. So, you know, I know that there's been shows and people who like hate each other and still make great chemistry together, but we all really do like each other. And coming to that point, it was just, I don't know, Dennis just picked good people. That's the thing. Dennis, like Dennis isn't just about the end product. He's very process oriented. So like we're improving, it gets very messy He's very committed to the people he works with. And, and it's it's kind of insular. Like he he chooses people and then he tends to work with them over and over again. So I just think his experience through the years, he just kind of has an eye and instinct for people who are going to mesh with him and mesh in the worlds that he creates. Because it's my understanding it was that way when, when they were filming Rescue Me too. So now you, you do the, the pilot. It's done. Are you happy with the end product when you see it? Do you go, as you know, as someone who's been involved with, I'm, you've been in projects that are successful. A lot been, of pilots. Yeah, you've been in, so that's the thing. I mean, people go through so many pilots and some pilots look like they're surefire and then they don't, nothing happens. And yeah. then you sit there and go, holy crap. I mean, I've had people say, you know, the guests, uh, the, the people that were in these shows, you sit there and go, well, that, how did that, like someone was on a pilot with Harvey Corman and Cloris Leachman back, you know, 20 years ago. How does that miss? You know, that, right. that's, that's a surefire thing. Did you feel like it was, did you have the confidence or were you sitting there going, I mean, were you sitting there saying, I know this isn't picked up or can you say that as an actor anymore? Because when you say that, sometimes it doesn't work and then you probably get disappointed. Yeah, no, there's no, and that was the thing Dennis had, Dennis really helped make FX with Rescue Me. Rescue Me and The Shield really put FX on the map. So everybody was saying, of course it's going to get picked up. Of course it's going to get picked up. And I'm sitting here going, there is no, of course, Paul Giamatti did a pilot for FX. It's freaking Paul Giamatti. The pilot didn't get picked up. So you never know. And even now we're, we're hoping that we get a season two. And once again, everybody's like, of course, you're going to get a second season. You're gonna, of course, you're, you don't know. There's like, you don't know. <laughs> just be, just because it's Dennis Leary, just because people like us, just because we love doing that, you know, there's, there's no guarantees. Well, it better get picked up because you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of shows I watch. And they sit there and they have like a little bit of a cliffhanger, but not like a cliffhanger. And then it never, it doesn't get picked up. And then you go, what happened? And I, I always think there should be the producers should have to, or the network should have to sit there and have a blog where all the shows that got canceled to say, here's what would happen season two. Because <laughs> I mean, I was watching one show, a show gang related. And I liked it on Fox. It was, and I was like, what, what happened? And it gets you so pissed off. And yeah. it's just irritating. Well, and our cliff, our final, because we did 10 episodes for season one. Our tenth episode, some serious history comes out, and so it's so gonna, it's going to be like what? Whoa! Well, I think wait, well, you're episode four right now. Wait, I don't think. We're... No, no, uh, six just aired. Six, okay, because it's funny because I I was somewhere Thursday and I watched it Thursday morning, and I said because for some reason my girlfriend didn't start watching it because she has so many shows and she would love it, but then I'm like, all right, well she's not around, I'm going to watch it. So now, so you start shooting it, and now it must be fun just to be, you know with a band like because you guys are on stage at shows what's that like i mean i know you danced i know you sang but you never had the rock and roll no, effect no it's whole it's it's whole different and the way they set it up it does look like the rock and roll effect what is that like for you just i mean is it something that because you being a rock chick as you said is it something that it's just like a childhood dream i mean what is it like when you go on stage and you just feel like you're in a band because you guys do you play your own instruments we do we all play we all uh liz and i sing dennis sings on some um 
And Callie, in the episode you were talking about, she did her own singing. So we are all busting our asses to be the, to actually be a band, to be the real deal. And every stereotype, every possible detail that you could imagine of what it would be like to be a rock star on stage, it is what it feels like. It does happen that way. There is a massive rush because we have done scenes where they've brought in hundreds of background actors to to be an audience for us and they're cheering and god it is a high it's it's fun <laughs> now now what's it like with the wardrobe because you guys all have like that that rock wardrobe and it's like it's like in, in la you see i mean you growing up when in your town i'm sure you never saw anyone like that i mean you might see guys dressed maybe like a country guy but then back then it was like you're from oak ridge right so it'd be like the oak ridge boy and they're not they're, <laughs> they're not from there i know i think they're from uh stanton west virginia i'm virginia but now, I mean, what was it like just being able to wear that that thing? And do you have a choice in the makeup? Can you say, I mean, not makeup, the wardrobe. Do you say, I want to wear this? Or, I mean, what's it like? Do you sit there and say, okay, I'm going to be a rock chick. I want to be the best rock chick I can. Hook me up. Or did you let wardrobe take it over? No, wardrobe. We had a kick-ass. Jeriana San Juan is our costume designer. And she just pulled it out. So it starts, she, you know, she comes in having talked with Dennis and the producers and setting the tone for the show and the look for the show. And then she brings in all these things. And then after a while, you start to get into, oh, okay, this feels like Ava. And this, that's my character's name. And and then you go along and you put something on it. It's like, no, no, this isn't her. And then coupled with that to make it a little, not co- it's not complicated for me at all, but I have a lot of... Um, restrictions in what I wear because I'm vegan and I absolutely will not wear fur. So I, I compromised and wore a lot of vintage leather and because my rationale is that it's already there, it's already made, so I'll wear that. But um, we try to get as much fake products for me as possible. Now, at what point did you come from a vegan? Because that's not a big thing down south. And no. I remember my roommate from college, this guy Frank, he was from North Jersey, Frank Toriello, couldn't be more Italian. And he was the he's a pilot for uh, UPS, so he moved down to um, Louisville. And he said, you know, he's even though he's Italian, and Italians eat a lot of sauce and stuff like that. He tried to eat healthy, and he's like, and he goes, "Oh my God, in Louisville, they just everything's in lard." Yeah. He goes, "Everything, and it's just gravy, meat and this sauce and that, and fried. the gravy comes from yeah. sausage and fried." Yeah. So now, what at what point did you become a vegan, and what made you go down that road? I became a vegetarian in 1995 and I did it because my boyfriend at the time and I really got into yoga and we decided we were going to try being vegetarian and I stuck with it. And um, then about maybe about a decade ago, I watched an undercover fur video and I was not expecting to see what I saw and I was not expecting to have the reaction that I had. And I learned what was happening to animals in all kinds of industries. And I grew up, I am a nature freak. I love animals and I always have, but I had no idea what was happening to them. And so once I saw that video, I literally went through my house. I threw out all my leather. I bought a new car because my car had leather. I threw out all the products that were tested and I re-upped any idea of, like, oh, well, maybe I'm going to start eating fish. And nope, I went back strong into vegetarianism. And um, and then, so I was leading a vegan lifestyle. And then it was a few years later that I adopted a vegan diet as well. Now, you're not one of these people that automatically says, like, I always crack up when people say, oh, you know, well, I heard it's good, but I don't eat meat. Or, you know, I'm a vegan. You, know, always, you always sit there, you go, it's always people say, people who do CrossFit, people who are vegans, and people who are atheists. They're always the first to say it at the bar. You know, Wait, that what? People who are do CrossFit. Yeah. Or or are atheists. Yeah. Or are vegans. Yeah. If you're at a bar and you're just having a conversation with them, within five minutes, you'll know one of those points. I mean, it's just people uh. always, they always bring it up. Like, oh, yeah, I was doing CrossFit. Or, oh, you know, I don't eat meat. Now, you know, are you one that sits there and tells people right away you're not a vegan? Is that something or you just sit there and let it come out naturally? No, I, I, I've learned, this is my, like my tenant in life is that I've learned that you will attract more people with honey. So you attract more ants with honey. So the sweetness, the just letting it come up, I don't preach. If I wait for people to ask, I wait for it to come up naturally, and inevitably it always does. Now you're very involved in dog rescue and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Now how did that come apart about, and tell me about some of the uh, the uh, organizations you're involved with. 
Well, I have my own organization, The Pet Matchmaker, and we're getting ready to launch a new rescue team called the Humane um, Animal Rescue and Response Team, PART, which will be part of The Pet Matchmaker. And that came about because I, me personally, I, I'm an animal rights person and I work in all issues with animals, but I learned in all of my travels that it's really hard for people to relate to veganism. It's really hard for them to relate to cows, pigs, goats, especially when they really have no interaction with them whatsoever. It's hard to get them to cheer on tigers and chimpanzees when, it, again, it just has no contact with their day-to-day -day life, seemingly. So people, but what people can relate to are the animals in their homes. So for me, the gateway drug are pets, our cats and dogs and birds and other domestic animals that we have in our homes. And so that's why I decided to really focus my organization on that work. And plus, I just, I love rescue work. It's, it's really rewarding. So what is a day like when you do rescue work? I mean, what is like when you do, I mean, like I personally, I don't have any, my cats passed away a few years ago. I didn't get any uh -huh. cats, but they were both adopted because I, 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 my thing is always like, you know, I, I can't see going to a pet store and buying something just because it doesn't make sense. It's not a car, you know, and yeah. you can go and it's like, and it's like, yeah, it's just sort of like, unless it's fish, you're not going to, you don't find rescue fish. I mean, that's just the way it is. You can though, but, but I, mean, I, yeah, yeah, I hear yeah, what you're saying. I don't want to flounder in my apartment, <laughs> but no, I mean, when, but so, I mean, what's the day like, like what's when you sit there, I mean, what do you, what are your pinpoints? What do you, when you made your, you know, your mission statement for your organization, how did you come up with it and what, it, what is it? Well, our mission is to inspire and celebrate the rescue, foster, and adoption of homeless pets everywhere. And just like what you're saying, it doesn't make sense to buy an animal. The old way of thinking, and, and which is still carrying on these days, is that, oh, broken animals went to the shelter. Sick animals went to shelters. You don't want them. And we've now learned that the exact opposite is true. Very sick animals come from pet stores. Um, highly dysfunctional um, pets come from pet stores and come from irresponsible breeders. And that's simply because these poor dogs get bred over and over and over again. And they get, then, then the puppies get separated from their moms way too early and, and it creates a whole chain effect. So really um, it is for me all about the rescue pulling in, whether it's from a shelter, from the street, from an abusive situation, from a neglectful situation, that doesn't matter. Rescue the animals, get it into a home. If it's temporary, that's where the fostering comes in. And fosters are so, so important. And the adoption is, is you can adopt an animal from uh, an individual rescue, or you can adopt an animal from the shelter, or you can just simply find an animal and end up keeping i've found i have found two animals on the street two animals in my life right now are came from the street and i just ended up adopting them. dogs cats one of each now where did you where did you find him you just driving down because it's always like i watched ray donovan and she found that dog running down the street so she took it into the house which i thought was cool but pissed me off they just named a dog they never gave it a name <laughs> but now where did you find it were you just driving through la and you saw a dog and because cats would be hard because Cats take off. I mean, I well, if they're feral, yeah, they will take off. I just sit there, I walk out and see a cat, and they they take off. I'm like, what's trying to say hi? So, where did you find your dog? So, my dog, uh, whose name is Rossmore, I found him on Rossmore, and he was he had a leash, and he but he was all cut it cut up and and bloody. He was really emaciated, and cars were passing by, and nobody was stopping. I'm like why is nobody stopping for this dog? I mean, he was clearly in distress. And so I pick up the leash and he just hops in my car with me. And I tried to find his parents. He wasn't microchipped. There were no postings. And judging by the way he looked, I kind of also really didn't want to get him back to where he came from. He had no tags or, or anything. And um, so I ended up keeping him. And then my cat I found in Atlanta, Georgia when I was filming. Uh, we were on a, we were on the, like this, um, flea market. What were you, what were you filming? I was filming a movie called Good Intentions with, um, myself and Luke Perry and Leanne Rimes. And, um, we were on this fairground flea market and this little bitty cat who had a tiny, he was, talk about emaciated, it was just so, so skinny with this great big head. 
and starving. And so I got him some chicken. And then the people on the fairgrounds were like, well, you know, we kind of take care of them. And this one lady, you know, brings them some food sometimes. But if you want them, you can have them. And I'm like, okay. So I took him. You took him. You got him on a plane. You flew back. And what, what's the and now he's And now he's a Hollywood cat. And his name is Goody Cornbread. Goody Corn. Now, how'd you get that name? <laughs> well, because they were calling him Cornbread on the set. And then, I, or, you know, on the fairgrounds. And then since we were filming Good Intentions, I said, well, I want it to, you know, be related. So I said, okay, Goody. And then, wait, Goody Cornbread. Goody. Oh, that has a nice ring to it. So I, I kept it. That's good. That's good. But so you do this now. Now, do you do a lot of uh, um, events for this? Um, sometimes. I usually work a lot with other organizations when it comes to events. Is there anything coming up? Um. Oh, God, I mean, there's always something coming up. We do have, um, in one of the the um, organizations I work for, No to Dog Meat, we have a golf and gala event on September 13th in Pasadena. If you go to puttingforpups.com is on there, and or no to dogmeat.com is maybe easier. No to dogmeat.com because that's also the organization. I like putting for pups. Yeah. I, I, I always love those. Like there's, there's cute names. Like they're, they're sort of hokey, but they're there for good cause. And you go, you know what? All right. Now, if it was like for someone else, it's like putting for Pete, like a guy, you'd be like, oh, I don't, don't want to do that. <laughs> Who cares about Pete? Who cares? Like, now, now, you're in your career, you, I know you worked in anger management. Yeah. And then you're also uh, in Two and a Half Men. You had an episode of that. Yeah. Now, was that a Charlie episode or an Ashton Kutcher? That episode? was an Ashton. Okay. So, what was it like working with Ashton and working with Charlie? I mean, because it's there's they're where they're they're both. I heard very talented. I mean, I've heard amazing things about both of them. But did you sit there and sit there and say, okay, I can see how Ashton took over for Charlie in that show? Or no, I there they to me and granted, I don't know them. I do not know them personally. I have met Charlie a few times. I only met. Um, Ashton and I and I got to work a little longer with Charlie too. I did a recurring role on anger management. Ashton, I just met the week we were filming. Ashton was very aloof, but as a guest star, I don't expect him to, you know, be hanging out with me. But he was very aloof. He was very clearly in his own world. Charlie was far more, in my experience, more personable, and just their energies, their vibes were also um, entirely different. Now, how do you balance going back from, as you, you know, you've done a lot of comedies, and it seems like a lot of your series have been comedies. Friends and Lovers was a comedy, and I believe, but that was, and there's been a few other ones, you mm-hmm. know, that you've been, and then you do a lot, you do guest spots on dramas. Now, how do you balance that, and do you like, do you like the set of a comedy better or a set of a drama? Because I'm sure it's a completely different process, and it's something that you, you know, dramas, off camera, you can screw around, but on camera, you have to be boom, boom, boom comedies you can screw around on camera and a lot of times that even makes better tv because like with dennis as you're saying with the, this show now it probably there's probably some improv that sort of ends up squeaking his way into the script because they sit there and they go that worked let's rewrite the script i mean how do you go back and forth oh my gosh they're all so so different um so dramas especially when you're a guest star you're 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 usually having high emotions which can be to me tedious and draining um, although I, I was on the show, Joan of Arcadia and funny enough though, I was kind of the comic relief. I mean, that was a drama series, but I was the, uh, one of the comic reliefs on that show. And so my roles were in scenes were always really fun. And then in the comedy world, if you're doing three camera, you have to really be very specific in what you do. I find it to be stilted. I, I, I hate to say this, but I don't really enjoy uh, multi-camera comedies. I don't enjoy doing them. They have the best schedule though, because you can have a nine to five, like normal quote unquote life in doing a multi-cam, but doing a single camera comedy like sex and drugs and rock and roll, it's, we'll be filming anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day. And with Dennis though, what makes it extra, extra fun is that it, there is a lot of improv you know, if you're on a network show, they like you to pretty much stick to the script word for word. But a cable, you have a lot, cable show, you have a lot more um, leniency with that. And in Dennis's world, especially, it's just, it's it's a free-for-all, really. So now when you guys, you know, how long does it take you to get out of that rock and roll persona? Because it's probably, you probably wouldn't want to. Like, if I was on a show like that, I'd be walking around all the time like that. I'd be, <laughs> I, I would be like, you know, 
just give me this damn wardrobe. I want to. I want to walk around. I want to walk around New York, and then people probably just like go, oh, okay, oh, they're on that show, but maybe they are, you know, because you get tours by like maybe they are rockers. They'd be like, oh wait, what band is that? Is that is that you know is that what's that group called? <laughs> the sweetest band, Roxette. <laughs> is that Roxette or Ace of Base? They'd be like, you know, people would sit uh, there, yeah, yeah. but no, what? Uh, I mean, how do you do? You want to stay in the character? Or is it easy to wind down? Because you guys just seem like you just you're living in the character oh we do like if we were all here right now this we would take over it becomes just mayhem when we are all together because we do kind of feed off each other and we do kind of feed off the whole rock star persona but it's fun i feel like i get to exercise a whole alter ego i I feel like i get to be bad and i get i have full permission to be bad but your character is not bad i mean you're you're not a bad person i mean no but my character started so the history of my character which you hear in the first season but you're really going to learn more and more about it as we go is that dennis and mine so we've been together we've been a couple forever but we started living with two other women and we have a completely open relationship. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Ava has had her fair share of flings. She did a lot of drugs with him. She just grew up a little bit more than he did. We well, hooked up with Bon Jovi. Ava hooked up with Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi, Sambora, <laughs> and I, we'll I find met, out. I met the whole band. <laughs> yeah, and and we'll we'll find out about uh, the, a lot more in the future. So, and I would have, uh, you know, in one of the episodes, I would have hooked up with Joan Jett, but Johnny kept her to himself, and that pissed, pissed Ava off. She wasn't jealous that he was with Joan Jett. She was mad that he didn't include her in being with Joan Jett. Now, now did you and Cal? I mean, just in, in the writing, in the background of the character, did you and Callie Thorne's character ever hook up? Because but the, your interaction about, oh, you look great in those jeans, or, oh, where'd you get them? You guys seem like you had a little sexual. I mean, in the show, was that something that may have happened? Yeah, she was one of the girls we lived with. Okay. So there, it was four of us. And while pick, we were together. Pick that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good. <laughs> so now, do you actually play the ukulele? <clears throat> I learned. I am started learning, and now I'm taking guitar lessons. So I, I won't say that I can play the ukulele, but I can play some chords, and I can play the song that I had to play on the show. So what's it like when you come back? You know, you shoot this great time in New York. Okay, it's, it's a, and you're in New York, you're in Manhattan, and I mean, or well, you guys filmed in Manhattan. Oh, right? we filmed in Brooklyn. Okay, see, but you still, and Brooklyn's very much cooler than it was. You <laughs> yes. So you're, you're, you come back to LA. Is it, is it, I mean, how do you bring yourself down when you come from such a great experience? And, and like we said, you know, yeah, it is Dennis, you know, he's with FX, you know, so you think, okay, it's going to have a bunch of seasons. Yeah. But you don't know it. It's something until know. you get that call, you never know. I mean, look, Deadwood, they just stopped. You know, after three seasons, it was a hit and it happens. How, when you come back to LA, how do you acclimate back to regular life? Because you are coming off, it has to be a high. As you said, you had the high of one being like a rock star being on stage, two, just having a cool wardrobe, three, just having a group of people that you're probably much you're like family with. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing in a situation like that, the crew is probably very close with you guys too, because yeah. like anything, if there's a nice, you know, people are getting along, the crew has to be also a cool crew. I guess it would have worked. What is it like when you come back to LA? Is it just like, it's like, cause you're sitting there and you're coming from back and forth and just the, the I mean, hustle and bustle of the East coast and then traffic sucks in LA, you know, people are, are shallow. I mean, not all, I and mean, I've met wonderful people. I'm not saying, you know, everyone's shallow, but there's a lot of damn shallow people out here. How's it like, I mean, how did, how long did it take you to transition back to like, cause back to your normal life because you weren't living a normal life in New York. No, really wasn't. And I gotta say, well, I think it's harder now than it was uh, even when we first came back because when we were done with the series, we knew that all the, that it, it was going to air and all the promotions for it airing was still going to come up. So there was a lot of anticipation around that and strategizing around that. And we had sort of things throughout um, once we stopped filming, which was last December. And then when promotions really started kicking up, it was like end of May, beginning of June. They started early. Yeah, they started started... early. And then we aired in July. So all, you know, from, so from basically from December to July, we had a a, a brewing happening and we knew that it was going to come. And then we just were balls to the wall with all the promotions. I'm still, I just got back from New York doing a second round of promotions and going to be going back again. And there's still a lot happening with it. So it's kind of 
there's still a lot that same energy, that's that same excitement. But what makes it different now than like six months ago is we don't know if we're getting a second season. So, uh, so now it's now the stress and the like, hmm, I guess, yeah, I mean, worry, I feel confident like, yeah, I'll work, but I want to work on this show because right. I love it so much. Now, when will you find out? Do you have any idea? No. What? Well, they have to let us know. Uh, they have us under contract until the end of September. I think I'm allowed to say that. Oh, so yeah. what happens, you know, cause as you say, you want to work. Yeah. That's your job. That's you're, my you're, job. You're an actor, and, yeah. you know? And so what happens? I always feel bad for like, not bad. I mean, cause you're a show, but you sit there and you love the show and you want to act and it's the old thing, you know, don't count chickens before they hatch, as they say. And all of a sudden, what if someone comes up with an offer for a series and you know, is there something you can put in your contract that says I can do this if sex and drugs and rock and roll doesn't get, I mean, how does that work? Cause it's something like, that, that's what sucks. They don't tell you. I think once it's over, I mean, basically, you know, if a show sucks or is it, I mean, you see ratings and yeah. you go, okay. And now ratings are different because Nielsen's always been crap. I mean, if they said to me, Hey, what do you watch Thursday? You know, Thursdays at 10, right? Yeah. Cause I, I watch it, you know, but I record it, you know, cause me and my girlfriend watch different stuff and we just, we're always busy. I don't watch it at 10. If someone called me and said, do you watch uh, this at 10? I go, no, but I watch it. Yeah. I mean, so you can't really judge that. And I mean, they should know. I mean, I'm sure things follow that say, okay, this many people DVR. There's got to be where they can, I mean, they can record everything. They got to know. They, they can, I mean, how do this, does the network sit there? How can they just not tell you when you're, I mean, they should be able to tell you five episodes in. If it's 10 seasons, that's the halfway mark. They should sit there and say, if you're getting good ratings, we're keeping you. If you're not getting good ratings, we'll wait to see if your ratings pick up. Because you don't know people, the word gets out. Well, there's a there's a lot in what you just asked, and so first of all, each network is different. Each network has their own process as to how they and when they tell and how they measure and whatnot. So FX, and I think most cable networks really do look at the downloads and they look at online watching, and so they count that. It's called they they measure it at. Uh, the, they call it live plus three, live plus five, live plus seven, and, and on and on. So FX has their own formula for what they measure for numbers, and they couple that with, you know, critics and blah, blah, blah. So every, every network is different in that way. And when you're under contract, there's certain jobs I can do, but there's a lot of jobs I can't do. Like I have a company right now who wants to develop a non-scripted show with me and my animal work so we're kind of proceeding but fx will have the ultimate say as to whether i can do it or not and like i just had comedy central ask me to do a web series not even uh an on uh, not even a tv you know for tv a web series and i can only do x amount of episodes so they rewrote wrote the role for me to do only x amount of episodes even on a web series and that's through your contract through and FX. that's through my contract yeah so it's been, a, it's been, you know, it's, God, I'm not going to complain. I'm on a freaking show. I'm on a great show, you know, that I love and I think is a good show. I think you'd asked about the pilot. I think the pilot was one of the, the best pilots I had ever seen. Well, the intro to it was great because they gave a backdrop. It was sort of like a yeah. documentary style. So you knew what was going on and it caught you. And I love documentary stuff. I love fake documentary stuff. So it was really good that you knew as soon as you saw it, you didn't really know the characters. But you didn't have to because you knew from just that little scene. Yeah. And and so I want to keep going. I think this I think our season um, has has been interesting and fun. And uh, I, I want to keep going. So I don't really want to do another show. I'm up for a couple of I've been up for some movies and because I I still do movies and um, and I'm up for a TV movie right now. And so we just, it's kind of all on hold. It's all, it's a little bit limbo. You ever do any Christmas movies? I've done three Christmas movies. Okay. Cause you know, it's funny. I love... I've done three, which I think is a record. I don't know anybody oh, no, else oh, who's done oh, three. Oh, oh, oh my, I know people have done like 20. Stop. Uh, no, I mean, okay. I think Reed Diamond's done about 10 of them. I well, <laughs> he came on and he said he's done a bunch of them. And I think a lot of people like you see it. I used to love, I, I love Christmas time and I, I, before I switched cable, like we switched from Charter to AT&T, but Charter used to have the Hallmark channel. So they had all these Christmas movies. And I said, how do they make so many Christmas movies? They have a different Christmas movie every day from October. And, and I then, did one. What's that? I did my Hallmark What Christmas was your movie? Hallmark Christmas movie? With, with Kelsey Grammer. It was called Mr. St. Nick. 
okay, we'll see now I'm going to look for that now because now we have Hallmark. I'm like, all right. Now, what, what were your other Christmas movies? Um, I did one for Fox years ago called, it was a Munsters. It was part of the Munster franchise with John Landis. Um, Munsters, Scary Little Christmas. Did you play? Uh... I played Marilyn. Okay. That must have been cool, though. That was That was cool. It was cool to be a part of that franchise for sure. Um, a little bit of Hollywood history. Um, and then I did a movie which was for, you know, I think it was for Ion, but in some networks it or in some markets it does air, <clears throat> excuse me, on FX. I mean on um on Hallmark. And that one is called Anything But Christmas. Well, it's got to be fun to do a Christmas movie just because it puts you in the, in the spirit, even though it's probably, you probably shoot them in August. Or well, I, I, let me tell you, I can, I can at least count on residuals at a certain time of year every single year. We only have a few more minutes left. Uh, anything else coming out? I mean, because I know you have the series, which is every Thursday at 10 o'clock, yeah. and you can watch it on demand, which I love on demand. I like, I, but the, I love the recording because you sit I there. I do too. I you can there, fast forward commercials. Yeah, and I just, yeah. I sit there, I go through like, and then if you sit there and if you watch a show and it sucks, you just cancel the series recording. But it's like you don't worry about it. You do first run. So uh, what else is anything else coming up? Um, yeah, I do. But right now it's still all about. To me, it's still all about sex and drugs and rock and roll. We have four episodes left to air in their first run, and I want people watching. You know, I've had a lot of people say to me, oh, I'm watching the show. And then I've had a lot of people say, oh, I'm recording the show. And then I've had a lot of people say, oh, I just found the show. And it's amazing. So we still want more and more people go to the show, go to the show, go to the show. At least you're on FX. You're not on FXX, which is which I have FXX, but a lot of people don't. And they, for yeah, some reason they move. It's always sunny to Philadelphia and the league to FXX. But that gets confusing. Like there's F, there's Fox, there's FX, and there's FXX. I mean, yeah, at least you're on. At least you're on the uh, FX. I think we're. I think we're part of the cool kids right now. Now, what do you do when you do the promotions? Like when they sent when New York. What What were you doing? Oh God, I did TV and radio and uh, live events like Q and As. We did it at an Apple store, and um, I go to meet different companies for potential sponsorships down the line. I mean, it gets. It's full. And we also went to Comic Con this year, which was. What was that like? Oh, that was so insane it was i've been to other cons like one of my favorite cons is dragon con in in atlanta but comic-con just dwarfs them all it's so massive i i mean it is massive you you think about it you hear about it but then you go and you experience it they walked us to our autograph signing area in it like a human barricade there were probably 30 people who were arm in arm walking around us just so we wouldn't get stopped and uh, along the way. That's insane to that me. That's insane. like that's like Beatles type stuff. I mean, that's great. That, it's it was... fun. I don't I don't know if that'll ever happen again. So I'm enjoying it every I'm enjoying every single moment of well, this. Good. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you. This pleasure. has been great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I sent yeah. I sent you a message a while ago, but then uh, John, I think to hit her up she'll she'll do it and i said now give all your info because you have a very nice website thank you now give all your info and tell them how you spell your name because people will probably think it's cks but it's not it's not it's x like jimmy so elainehendricks.com and everything can be found there but all of my social media and i'm very active on facebook twitter and instagram in particular all of my social media is found under elaine the number four animals so elaine for animals that's all my social media and then my website is elainehendricks.com and uh, you can even find you know my organization on there as well well i want to thank you for coming on and follow her people and, and watch sex drugs and rock and roll and follow me at twitter that's at cooper talk that's at cooper talk i tweet here and there i go on my i go on my moods but i tweet there and uh facebook you know what i honestly i don't really i have a fan page uh, which someone told me to start but i haven't updated it for like a year and a half so i'm on facebook but you can add me. Well, no, I don't. I don't because I I post my stuff and on my regular page. And, yeah. You know, and my website coopertalk.net. There's uh, about four hundred over four hundred and ten episodes up there. So go check that out. And you can email me cooper at coopertalk.net. I'll always answer. Uh, you know, tell me what guests you want to see, what you want to hear. Um, also, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, it's all one word, Cooper Talk. If you have a Android device, go to the Google Play Store. It's the Cooper Talk app. Type in one word, Cooper Talk. 
it's back up. It fell off. It's free. Get all my shows there. And then you have to go to my other website and uh, go to stopthesalt.com. Stopthesalt.com. You know, three years ago when I got out of the hospital with my heart problem, I had to change my diet. I had to be a good person again. I had to eat healthy and get myself back to health. My cardiologist told me I lived till I'm 90. So it's uh, 120 easy recipes, low sodium cooking. Just go. No pictures to intimidate you. Not a bunch of ingredients. Just go in. There's just go get it. Go to stopthesalt.com. You can go to Amazon, but if you go to stopthesalt.com, I'll sign it for you and I make more money. So that's about it. Uh, keep listening. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, follow me on Cooper Talk at Cooper Talk, and follow Elaine Hendricks and watch Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. I will talk to you guys next week.